The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the hosts and guests as individuals and do not necessarily reflect those of advertisers or sponsors. This show is intended as entertainment and commentary only. The producers strive for verisimilitude, but nothing said on this podcast should be taken as fact by the listener or viewer without performing due diligence. The existence, the physical universe, is basically playful. There is no necessity for it whatsoever. It isn't going anywhere. That is to say, it doesn't have some destination that it ought to arrive at. This is Keep Your Hat On, a show by three nerdy nobodies and one nerdy kind of somebody about nothing in particular. Keep Your Hat On is brought to you by the Narrow Band Broadcast Network and BBN. The focus is on you. By PodSquadPDX.com, painless podcasting. And by the kind support of KYHO fans everywhere through Patreon. Patreon, create on your own terms. On this episode, Chris winds up alone in a tree. Robert winds up alone on an island. Andrew winds up angry about screws. And Dr. Mark winds up everybody in the UK with a little gnome fact. Seriously, scriptwriter, we're devolving into puns now? I'm still your disembodied announcer, Michael Brumage, and now let's get whatever the hell this is started. Here are your hosts, Andrew, Dr. Mark, Robert, and the one we're currently referring to as Chris. And welcome back. This is Keep Your Hat on the Show, where hell even we don't know where we're going to go. I'm Andrew Scott, along with my good friends, Chris Vacano and Robert Anthony, and Dr. Mark C. Peterson, professor of philosophy in the University of Wisconsin. How's everybody doing? I'm you okay. know, there are some, some days you I'll edit out the silence again. Uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> There, there are some days you get up and, and, and the world's just a confusing place, but I'll tell you, I'm, I'm totally okay with it. I'm, yeah, I'm, you I'm, gotta be down with the weirdness. Yeah. You mean that just happens for you some days? <laughs> right. Uh, well, okay. Much yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm under-saggerating yeah. there. Under-saggerating? Is that what you just said? Oh, it is now. Yes, yeah. that is what I just said. <laughs> okay. <Yeah>. All right. <laughs> you get a pat on the back for coming up with a new word that's only going to be heard on and this podcast. this episode. <laughs> and probably just this one time. Well, I, things, I, are, I, things are generally I, going pretty well in the KYHO camp. We have uh, some interesting things to talk to you about today. Uh, as far as, oh gosh, well, let's see. Yeah. Everything. Don't but, let us know. But who's Ty? Where's your, where, where's your, what's, where's your lollipop? Where's your Tootsie Pop? Oh man. Oh man. I got nothing. I, I can't I fix nothing. that in post. All right. Well, we're going to, we're going to have to lean actually, on, we're going to have to lean on Dr. Peterson with that one, right? Yeah, exactly. If Guys, I, today I got nothing. That was the last one oh. in the drawer. We have, we have at this house, we have a, uh, a drawer that is nothing but uh, sweets and, and tooth rotten goodness. <laughs> well, um, well, no, cause it, it, it ranges, it ranges from sugar to squid. Oh, <sighs> I can't believe you just said that. Man, yeah. Now I'm fully repulsed. I'm wait. Oh, I love squid. No, yeah, I'm fully. Squid. No, you can keep your damn squid. I yeah. It's one of those things where I would eat octopus 
if it was as dumb as a squid, but octopi are way too smart. And I know they're very tasty, but I can't do that with sushi. Squid, just keep that. Yeah, this really? is like a, I awesome. love calamari. Nah. I, uh, yeah, it, no, it, calamari to me is just I'm like bread and deep fried rubber this. bands. It's I, <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is like a James McMurtry well, blues tune, right? From from sugar to squid. <laughs> from sugar to squid by James McMurtry. I'd pay for him to record I'd, I'd, I'd that. Pay for that. Yeah. Yeah. I'd either that or uh, uh, Robert Earl Keane, I think, would probably be a better choice for that. So see, for me, and part found, of the appeal uh, of calamari is is it's a it's a great vehicle for aioli sauce and you put aioli on anything and i'm happy well yeah no you wouldn't be i got plenty of stuff that aioli won't fix but um <laughs> i uh the, over this last year i found that the squid eating the squid at work um it really encourages social distancing. Yeah, I bet it did. <laughs> I, I know I'd stay the hell away from you. Well, uh, let's move forward with the show here uh, again. We would, uh, as always, appreciate your support, your kind support. Uh, if you would like to, you can help us out by hitting our Patreon page, and we'll get you some more information on how to support the show later. Frankly, the biggest support you can be right now is tell your friends about us. Tell us that you're having a good time hanging out with us and that we're a bunch of generally inoffensive, white, heterosexual, sort of mostly guys. And Idiots. right. Yeah. Well, I'd, I'd rather be a pleasant fool. Uh, that's still my uh, my my rubric for life. But uh, Chris, what do you got in the can today? What's going on with you? Uh, so uh, so I've got. uh I hear I hear a little bit of something's come up. I totally did not see this coming. I, I mean, is 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 really what's going on? So uh, what I've got in the can has to do with um, DNA ancestry testing, right? You mean like um, all the, the ones that you can get online and they say, yeah, you a like ancestry.com, 23andMe and so on. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Where you those know, are the you two get, biggest uh, players in the game, I think. Yeah. Those are the big players. There are a number of smaller players. Um, let, let me frame this in with a little bit of background to to sort of shape uh, why, uh, you know, shape this story and and help help you guys understand why this was kind of a surprise for me. So um, my entire life, I've I've had this idea, you know, I've had this perception that, you know, on my mom's side of the family, I come from good, you know, hardworking, salt of the earth, Scandinavian working stock. You know, very stoic, but, you know, a, a, a kind family, good to each other, that kind of thing. And on my dad's side, I came from old Eastern European moneyed blue bloods uh, who not not generally very affectionate people, you know, just kind of just kind of kind of a tough, tough family to be a part of. But vampires, you know, I got used to it. I, I, I was, you know, my perception was, you know, that's is, certainly cold. Right. This is this is how blue but blue bloods are. You know, we we just you know, it's it's part of the part of the package. So um, there was always this kind of tension on, on, on the Vicano side, on my dad's side of the family. And a lot of it was it took the shape of uh, sort of hostility towards him within his family, you know, his parents and his sister. And and then, you know, that sort of projected down onto us. And uh, my dad passed when I was about 20. Uh, his parents passed, you know, several years before him. 
So that sort of leaves his sister, who we are now all estranged from. We had our various falling outs and, you know, things got ugly. And, and so, you know, we've just sort of cut off the relationship. Um, but as as sort of one of the last parting shots in the final falling out, uh, his sister implied, well, basically came out and stated, well, it doesn't much matter because you guys aren't really Vicanos anyway. Uh, and the implication there was that my dad was not his dad's son, but that my grandmother had had an, an illicit affair. And so, so we, you know, my brother and I, especially, you know, cause we've always had sort of a lot of curiosity and interest in our family history. Um, you just wrote we, that off to a passive aggressive attack or uh, no, actually we, or no, uh, fully aggressive attack. I'm sorry. Well, well, first we thought, yeah, I mean, we, we thought that maybe it was, uh, it was just, just some, a grenade over the shoulder as she, it were. She yeah. made up. Yeah. But then we started, I, you know, I sort of started running with the idea and fantasizing that, that, oh, you know, maybe my dad was, had, had, had a much cooler grandfather than I had. And, and I had different <laughs> ideas about that, but you know, it, it was kind of neither here nor there. So, so that actually between my brother and me, that reopened a conversation that we've, we've been having for many, many years in, in our family about DNA testing. Now, a little bit about my brother. He's a molecular biologist and a data informatics specialist. Um, he's very knowledgeable in this stuff. Uh, and, and he had some real concerns and reservations, particularly about the data handling practices. Uh, of yeah, that, that, that's when you and I have talked. That's always been my thing. I'm kind of I'm a little squinked out by people owning my genetic code. Yeah. 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 Well, and, and, and what they actually own, I mean, uh, this is one of the things that's poorly understood. You know, it got out uh, a couple of years ago that like 23 and me and ancestry, they, they put trademarks on your DNA. Mm -hmm. Well, what they're putting the trademarks on is actually the DNA report, the gels they ran, the, you know, all the process materials. Mm -hmm. You can't, you can't trademark somebody else's DNA. Right and say, now. You created that. It's not a work of authorship. Right. Yeah. That, that you can claim. I mean, uh, so, so, you know, and, and for me, my attitude is very much has always been very much like my attitude sort of with all things, technology and internet, which is, you know, hide in plain sight, uh, yeah. because you're just not that interesting, mm -hmm. you know, and, and, and I know I'm just not that interesting. Uh, I'm not so, disagreeing so, with you. <laughs> I love you, Andy. Um, <laughs> right. So, That's all right. um, Daddy. so, so, so I, I figured I'd defer to my brother's concerns. No big deal. I was happy either way. And, and we sort of tabled it. Well, well, this, this falling out reignited the conversation and we started talking seriously about it. And we, you know, we decided a couple months ago to go ahead and, and we agreed to go with 23 and me spit um, in the tube and spit in the tube. And, and, oh my gosh. It takes a lot of spit. I mean, it's 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 not like <laughs> it, don't it's, do it on a warm summer day. 
it is not like you see on TV where they take the little cotton swab and swab your cheek. It's not that. I mean, I, I was there spitting into this thing for like five minutes. And by the time I was done, I was like totally dry. Uh, I, I, There's I mean, no visual I can put in here as an editor. <laughs> that, is going to, um, that is going to help keep this story floating better than yeah. that. We there are some images under. you just can't get out of your head, Chris. Nope. Can't unsee uh, it, even yeah. though I haven't seen it. Enjoy yeah, a little look, a little streamer <laughs> at the bottom of the screen, Andy, that just says you will not be able to unhear this next. Right? Segment. Please. Uh, uh, yeah, we definitely need a trigger warning. The trigger yeah. warnings, saliva trigger. So- yeah, that's so. right. That's right. So anyhow, uh, my brother did his test, you know, right away when when he got it. Me being the slacker that I am, the kit sat on my. You even slacked off at weeks. spitting, Chris. I did. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't be bothered to spit and put a box in the mail. You know, it, it, that's really literally all it takes. A um, little bit of MSG on your tongue, man, and you just be something? going for it. Could you imagine somebody smoking a little something and then trying to spit in that tube? Oh, oh. my gosh. Yeah. Getting caught in mouth. Oh, no. Yeah. No, I don't know what right. you're talking about. Uh. Um, uh, so, so I, I finally got around. I, well, Guido got his results and that got me prompted to, you know, take care of mine and send them in. And, and, and they're in their hands. And I actually just checked the status today mm-hmm. and they're genotyping my DNA now. So it's, it's moving through the oh, process. Okay. And, and Andy, I'll send you a copy of, of the timeline graphic that you can put up oh, yeah, please, kind of where yeah. I'm at right here now today. Ah. Um, now we get to the part that none of us saw coming. So my brother got his results. And, and as I laid out, Scandinavian, Western, Northwestern European, some English on my mom's side, uh, German, Russian, Austrian, Italian on my dad's side. None of that is, you know, got, none of that is unexpected. Right. And, and this is all based on, uh, you know, the way 23andMe does it, or the way I understand that they do it, is they, you know, with the genotyping, they look at geographic patterns and 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 trends and yeah. and and they're able to kind of at least get a fairly general sense of what region you come from. My brother got his results back. Well, wait, at, the, at this European. point, you don't have your results. Guido got I do his not first. Have my results yet. That's so you right. don't know just if for it's the actually your brother yet, right? That's what <laughs> well, I I, <laughs> I I know for sure it's my brother. What a twist! <laughs> I mean, we all yeah. say that. <laughs> well, it's a good point. I mean, and and that really comes to the question of you know what do we really know? Yeah. Um, absolutely no Eastern European, no Russian, no German, mm. no Austrian. I, I, really heavy on the English. Uh, and heavy on, you know, sort of generalized Western European. So, so this triggered all sorts of immediate implications and conversations. And, and, you know, of course, the first thing we thought was, and, and, and I was able to rule this out immediately just because there are some things you just know. I mean, you do know. Um, okay. You know, the first question was, is, you know, does this mean Guido wasn't my dad's son? Right. And and it's like, you know, my mom is just not wired that way. You know, she she is not the kind of person. It's just not. It's not conceivable. Your mom uh, is one of the most sweetest, demure people I have ever met in my life to the point where it might actually be considered a disability. 
Yeah, yeah, I mean, she is so she just doesn't even have that kind of thing in her reality. Yeah. So 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 I was able to, you know, at least for me mentally rule that out completely. And so that left really only one other thing, one other possibility, which is my aunt was halfway right in that dad wasn't his dad's son. But the rest of the story is dad wasn't his mom's son either. Wait, what? And, and, what? and so the suspicion that I have, and this, this when was, you, when was your, when was, when was, when was your dad born? My dad yeah, was born in 1938 okay. in Tokyo. Yeah. Uh, uh, so, so during wartime in Japan and, and my theory and 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 uh, you know we're looking for my data points to sort of support and confirm this uh or at least take us another step forward in in confirming it is that my dad was secretly adopted and it was just sort of the vacano family dirty little secret after i got over the sort of initial shock of oh my god what's true you know this this to me was just a fixed point of knowledge for 40, 40, going on 49 years. Yeah, it's what you built your life story partly on. Yeah, it's sort of know? how I picture my identity. It's part of my life story. It's, and, and, and then I started to sort of introspect and think back. And suddenly a whole lot of things started to click into place and make sense. All of that hostility towards my dad, mm-hmm. all of that, you know, all of the sort of games and manipulations that went on, you know, with, with our relationship within that part of the family. Sure. Uh, it's, it's suddenly all just kind of clicked into place and it was like, Oh yeah. Okay. I get it. So, so that's the story. I didn't see it coming. Uh, well, and you, you know, don't actually have, you don't even actually have resolution on this. Yeah. Yet. There's no all resolution. It's done it's still is an open bring question. Up, it's well, and it's brought up a bunch of questions. Uh, you know, uh, if you, if you're like me, one of the, my, things that i enjoy watching is uh i do watch i do enjoy watching genealogy shows um mm-hmm. you know finding your roots is pbs's product and it's it's, it, it's good yeah um i tend to be as an anglophile um i tend to watch the uh original british version of who do you think you are um uh and we we always have uh we we've had a joke uh in my watching circle that uh you know there are there are a couple things that cue the sad and tense music and um they are and i say this with all due respect to the trauma that some of these these things bring along as baggage i'm not making a joke but it's um especially especially for um uh european not so much for american but in america we've got our own version because in europe uh particularly in the uk it's workhouse stories um in the u.s and in europe but more in the u.s it's of course slave ownership yeah um and uh you know the 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 real big one is the holocaust um oh sure and and you know we in america we we have our own versions of a number of those things uh and 
you know, my family is, as far as I understand, is pretty damn boring. Um, but I, I did make a joke at Chris's expense when he told me about this first that I should, I'm going to start referring to him as Ovacano or, right, or because, Mick, uh, yeah, Mick Ovacano. One, one Mick thing I Ovacano. forgot to mention is that there's yeah. a bunch of Irish, Irish that, that you didn't know was there. That, see that yeah. now, that, now that explains why you like corned beef and cabbage though. Pretty much. Yeah. But um, I guess, Chris, we're going to we're going to kind of have to revisit this, aren't we? You're giving us a bit of a cliffhanger here. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it is a cliffhanger and I expect to have the results by the next. Time, are you thinking you know, about the next show? Are you thinking about like leaning into um, uh, Ancestry.com and seeing if you can't dig anything up yourself? Because war babies, um, you know, through our various wars in World War One, World War Two, every single uh, uh, major conflict often generates what is colloquially referred to as war babies. Um, and, and there was a, a big trend um, in, in the twenties and thirties, uh, the twenties from world war one and the thirties uh, in the conflict leading up to world war two, uh, where it was actually kind of fashionable for American, particularly American money to uh, effectively go out and buy them a baby um, and it was used wow. kind of as a status symbol. Oh, I took in this poor waif from, you know, worn, torn, okay. fill in the blank. Um, and of course, adoption requirements were scant, if any, back then. Um, and so, it, you know, there's a long history of it, but it really messes up people's ability to do genealogy because, you know, before really uh, right after World War Two. Um, there wasn't a lot by way of of records for adoptions and you literally especially um uh, uh, american american service women adopting babies from the philippines before japan invaded the philippines wow. and, that was a even, big thing even even uh service men uh, adopting uh, particularly Japanese orphans. Yeah, um, yeah. It wasn't just it wasn't just the women, is, but yeah. Robert Robert is, has is, ability to talk directly to that. Yeah, my and, partner is 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 uh, 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 a direct result of that. Um, uh, I don't know that it was. I, I'm not sure. I can't really say what the the motivation was, but it was in that time period where it was actually uh, fashionable for you to do that um and bringing her over to the united states was not a problem um didn't become a problem until her adult life when she needed uh documents and and uh things of that nature and she says even though she's naturalized she says she, oh, she lost those papers at one point and it was extremely uphill in terms of of it was a steep uphill climb to get her papers back and to get get in a position where she had all the documents that she needed. Wow. Yeah. Well, I tell you well, what, Chris, so much stuff uh, was missing. Yeah, you know, along this line to answer your question. Um yes, I absolutely plan to lean into this and do some research. I'm if anything, I'm more curious and interested in my past and you know, one of those events that really clicked into place for me, you know, in terms of what we're talking about here uh that that i have a new understanding of is the one time i I've, i can recall that i ever saw my dad shed a tear was when he was watching empire of the sun 
Ah, uh, Steven uh, Spielberg movie with a, a young Christian Bale. Brilliant written movie. Written by J.G. Ballard, who yeah. is one of my favorite authors. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. And I never understood. I, I mean, I got that. Okay, that kind of happened at the time he was a little boy in Japan and 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 all of these kind of things. But I didn't understand why it had had such a massive sort of emotional rending for him. and. Now I feel like I've got some insight into that. Um, and and so that's really interesting to me. And and I'm very curious to to see if it's even possible to piece together the story of what happened. Yeah. And you might, you know, you have to go into it uh, prepared to get no answers and be mm-hmm. happy with anything that you get. But uh, the thing I've learned from all of this is is and and it, it was a little unexpected. It's something I probably should have known. Uh, is if, if if you go turning over rocks, you're going to find things that you don't expect to see. <laughs> yeah. And you they know, might crawl true. out. Yeah. They might crawl out in ways that you're not ready for. But uh, anyways, th- Chris, you know, we're going to revisit this uh, when you mm-hmm. get answers. We'll be interested to hear what they are. But in the meantime, uh, thank you for sharing, Senor Vacano. And yeah, uh, we will be we will be right back after this next message. Uh, this is the Narrowband Broadcast Network. I'm Andrew Scott. That's Dr. Mark Peterson. That's Chris Vacano, and that is Robert Anthony. And we will be right back. We'll be right back. Really. And we're back. Welcome back to Keep Your Hat on the Show, where hell even we don't know where we're going to go. I'm Andrew Scott, along with my good friends Chris Vacano and Robert Anthony and our good friend Dr. Mark C.E. Peterson. And Robert, you've got something for us here today. Uh, we are going exploring after a fashion. Uh, well, we are going exploring. Uh, we're going to talk about places that you're not allowed to explore. Which is one of my favorite topics. Yeah, yeah. So what you got? Today, I, I, I decided uh, I would bring to y'all the uh, Disney attraction that has been left for over 20 years to just decay called Discovery Island. Oh, I've heard about Discovery Island. Where oh, go. This is this is out in in uh um in Disney World out in Florida. Yeah, World is in um, Florida, lands in California. Mm-hmm. That that's correct. Yes. I'm proud uh, of myself for even remembering that. I've only been to both so of them. So I've actually been there. Rolling property uh my understanding is now is if you look at a map of uh disney world yeah we'll put a map we'll put a map up here yeah this green glob that is an island and that used to be an attraction it's no longer an attraction Uh, how long has it not been an attraction for or it's something like 20 some years right 99 99 okay uh, um uh, the, the island's got a long history, including in the late 30s, a uh, guy uh, that I, I need to do some research into this guy, Delmar uh, Radio Nick Nelson, lived on the island for many years with his wife uh, and his pet crane in the in the late 30s. 
in early forties. Um, uh, obviously got his fortune in radio. Don't know much about him. Um, but anyway, well, he already, he already won in my mind because the dude's name is Delmar. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there you go. <laughs> well, and I, 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 I'm sort of picturing this guy broadcasting from, right? from this Island. <laughs> Hello, ladies and gentlemen, on all the ships at sea. Yeah. <laughs> right. 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 Yeah. With uh, a, with a very so, thick mid Atlantic accent, mm-hmm. which isn't really a thing. We'll go into that in a different show. Anyways, Robert. <laughs> <laughs> so it went uh, through various changes uh, in terms of, of names and, and islands in 65, it was gets purchased by Disney. Okay. And, so this, uh, uh, this is not one of Disney's famous man-made things where they just bought something, paved everything, and then built nature on top of asphalt. This is they, an actual really existing small Island. This is an, this, this was a real Island. It was not a man-made Island. They do expand the Island. Uh, however, I'll get to that in just a minute. Um, so they buy it in, in, in 65, they call it Blackbeard Island, but they don't do anything to develop it, uh, until like 73, 74. They literally just uh, own the thing. They haven't really yeah, done they much call with it. it the island, they call it, you know, Blackbeard Island and they don't do anything with it. Okay. And, and calling it Blackbeard, I mean, obviously uh, somewhere along the way, they were maybe thinking about making it kind of a pirate themed attraction. Well, and, right. and Disney was way pirate before pirate was cool. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, I'm not surprised. Yeah. And that's and that's Chris. That's you're going to come back. You, you, you kind of nailed that part of it uh, in in uh, 65 uh, or in 73, 74. They bring in um, 15 cubic yards of soil 1500 cubic yards 15 cubic yards of soil i was already disappointed (laughs) this is the lamest build out ever we got a porch so they brought enough soil out to uh increase the size of the island to 11 acres uh and that was like a thousand tons of boulders Right. They also bought, brought in um, exotic trees from China, South Africa, the Himalayas. Oh, glad to hear that they were way ahead on the whole, let's keep our uh, native flora and fauna intact. Oh, movement. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then, and then they, they put, they littered the island, of course, with shipwrecks because in 74, they, they opened the attraction Treasure Island. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, named after the 50s movie, of course, that they did. in seventy eight. You know, that, that goes, it goes on for a while, uh, for four years in 78, they rebranded discovery Island and they start playing the emphasis, um, on animals and botanicals. Mm-hmm. Um, in 81, they get, uh, accredited, uh, has a zoological park, uh, from the American, uh, association of zoological parks and aquariums. So they actually become a zoo. That island actually becomes a zoo. And if uh, I remember right, I went there in 81 or 82. Did you um, actually go? Yeah, I did. I did you the whole. You actually on that island? Yeah. And I actually went, I went, hey, 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 hey. I was dragged <laughs> along. I uh, I think I've been there too, by the way. Yeah. We stayed at the campground, wilderness campground, right across the bay from there. Right. And I well, uh, actually, I did, the, uh, I did the <laughs> under the sea thing too, where you were speaking of those shipwrecks. They have uh, a ride where it's um, glass sided. It's a glass sided submarine. Uh, I that, remember that at Disneyland. Yeah. I don't know that that I mean, it, it, it's possible that it was at Disney World, too. I was I was just way more about Space Mountain. 
I just that's what I was interested in and everything else. And Epcot was just opening up. Anyways, go yeah, on. Go yeah, on with Epcot, your story. Epcot was just yeah, that that was the thing I was just thinking about. It. I was just excited Obviously, because I was seeing something that was inspired by Bucky Fuller. Uh, well, yeah, for sure. But but obviously Disney was getting more interested in uh, science, agriculture, technology, that kind of thing, because they're doing this Discovery Island. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but also Epcot is very much kind of the educational. It was where you cool went stuff to we're doing yeah, where you went to experience the future. Anyways, Robert, uh, carry on. So um, in 87. The last dusky seaside sparrow was on this island and died. And uh, consequently, in 90, they were officially declared extinct. Great. Now, in 89, the state and Fed AG uh, level like 16 charges of animal abuse against the the uh zoological curator and four other employees three other employees um which you know included uh mishandling of vultures not not uh um storing them correctly not caring for them shooting hawks um and and a list of other like i said 16 charges wow uh none of those charges ever saw the court there was an oh no. because disney settlement. because yeah, disney almost. yeah 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 that, that, that it was spread some money around and make it go away quietly yeah yeah and then in in 99 um they they just they abandoned the island it must have just been losing money hand over fist as an attraction as well, because Disney well, will never give up. Well, there was another attraction, on- Discovery something, or not Discovery, but some other attraction that they move the animals to mm-hmm. eventually, and they just close it down. Okay, so uh, this thing's buttoned up. There's some weird and- theories about, we can go into con- some, maybe we'll do that, go into some conspiratorial theories. I just found one here, in fact, Robert. I'm looking at the um, Google entry for Discovery Island, and... <laughs> Somebody had written, could somebody tell me the real reason the park was abandoned? And maybe I'll participate and give you the first one. Oh, good. From somebody named LA Music Sound, California. By the time you get this, I will not be around. There's a secret testing ground on the island, which is about creating a race of half humans, half mouse people. (laughs) (laughs) You know, by the way, this wouldn't be funny, except it's Disney, right? (laughs) One of the theories is that this is actually, uh, uh, you know, deep into the island is not abandoned. And there's some kind of Jurassic so, Park shit going on. So, 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 so like, yeah, like with the intention of doing the live action version of the Rescuers. <laughs> <laughs> well, they need to breed tiny people. A secret, right? uh, a, a weird cross between uh, Jurassic Park and Secrets of Nim. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, anyways, this, Robert. This uh, so, but goes- but the thing is, Disney historically doesn't abandon anything. They keep well, ownership. They keep after- ownership of it because every so much of what they do has trade secrets built into it. That in order to abandon something, they would have to whole scale dismantle stuff in order to they not leave not behind dismantle anything. They did not. Yeah, leave and that's the weirdest they part of this to it. me. Yeah, they They're still just not doing anything with it. So they abandoned it as an attraction, but not as a piece of property that they own. Correct. Okay. It is still part of Disney World. 
And that's and hence when you look at a, a, a current map of Disney World, the island is just this green glob. I just I just I just see that you know, there's some some advertisement somewhere. It says now Disney 2000 featuring Verboten Land. <laughs> you can only look you can't go there they're both over not. the years since it's closed down one of the one of the uh uh one of the rumors one of the reports was that disney was looking at making it a attraction related to the game mist oh Ooh, sure uh, that would make sense being that mist is, so is encapsulated into, into an island right yeah, yeah. oh my gosh uh, that would be a blast never never trans you know never nothing ever came of it but they were actually in talks with the designers of mist uh, mm-hmm. to do that at one point but you know from 99 uh uh it goes really kind of just it just falls off the radar until about aught seven aught okay. six and then we've got a number of people that have uh found their way to the island um unauthorized <laughs> Uh, we got Shane Perez and uh, Steph Lawless. Mm-hmm. And Steph Lawless actually took some really cool stills and then did a blog post. Uh, Disney couldn't prosecute at that point because um, statute of limitations had run out. But what they did is they banned that person from ever setting foot on any Disney property again. Oh, bummer. That really ruins future family fun. Yeah, right. 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 Uh, So Lawless gets bounced from the House of Mouse. Shane Perez was was there first, I think, with some stills, too. They didn't take any video footage. Uh, My understanding is it would have been on a Nokia phone, so it would have really sucked. (laughs) Right. (laughs) One or both of them uh, actually swam out to the island, used a dry bag for their camera equipment, swam out there. And actually, and I've looked at the map, and it's not an inconsequential swim. Um, you know, there there are points that are closer than others, but you got to be invested in your process to, you know, put your bags in a wet bag or put your camera gear in a wet bag and, and swim across an island. Oh, yeah, and by the way, it is Florida, so there's always interesting critters in the water, too. In the so, water, uh, yeah. Well, and so yes. this is this is in 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 a big lake, right? I mean, yeah, it's, yeah, it's a big body of water. Yeah, yeah. So I, yeah. yeah, it's an it, it's an inland island, and one of those. I'll bring that up There's, at another point in time. Inland islands are something that interests me. So, anyways, about fifteen years ago, Perez swims across to this island and starts exploring. Perez, uh, it's it's either Perez or, or Lawless, and that's one where of the we two get guys, the first yeah. stills, right? Okay. Of of how this is overgrown and it just is eerie. Oh, uh, when you look at these pictures, it's just abandoned, right? So, like when you get on onto the loading dock and you get into like their snack shack, there's still uh uh there's still uh, Cheetos so there, man. There's still Twinkies there, man. They're, and, <laughs> and they're, they're perfectly fine. Still, they're, they're, they're fine. Oh, there's hey, I bet you a there's a cache of old hostess pies, too. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. There's uh there's a uh vet lab that's still got medicines and things I thought like that. You were gonna say in dogs it. in it, dogs in cages. No, no, but there is there's this weird if you look at one of the videos and I'll bring I'll Yeah, bring we'll link up. to the videos below. We'll have them in the bottom. But there's um 
there's like a Mountain Dew can or a water can or something like that. And it's got a snake in the bottom and it's still got fluid in it. This is uh, okay. Uh, it's weird, eerie stuff, right? Like, like uh, kind of post-apocalyptic. Like, yeah, yeah, very, very. You there's should. like a, an old incubator that has been left. Just left. It's like they, it's like they left in a hurry. You know, yeah, now we know where Jeff Goldblum came from. Right? Exactly. This is, like, <laughs> this is actually part of a new attraction called Shadow World. Well, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's just the upside down. Well, and, and see, I'm I, I'm just getting overwhelmed by the temptation to slip out to that island myself. Well, we're and all going, put, I think, right? That's know, our first put, field trip. Put, Put yeah. a bunch of put a bunch of little triangular stick figures bound together, you know, hide them in the trees and make it all Blair Witch. It's only a matter of time, though. And mark my words, it's only a matter of time before somebody gets up there with a drone and oh, does mm-hmm. some high definition flyovers of this. That would be really I'm, cool. I'm surprised that hasn't already happened. Well, no, here's the deal. Um, uh, uh, particularly Lawless. Lawless says now, uh, he told the BBC at some point that, you know, security is now really ramped up. Yeah. Right. They got boats on the water. They're doing, you know, they've got some. Uh, I found one. Uh, there's there's a bunch of a ba- just type in just uh, Google up drone Discovery Island and it kicked up a whole ton. Well, there you go. Oh, geez. See, I yeah, was now, right. Now, now you're on past me was here, right. Brother. Uh, the, oh, the, holy the, cats! I'm I'm curious to hear more about and 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 explore is this this idea of the Disney police, right, or the Disney right. secret? That is a real thing. That no, is kind of a, a real thing, and you do not screw with them. And I will have to tell you that story at some point. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so where does this where does this take us to, Robert? Well. I, uh, let's see. Oh, then uh, as we were talking about people that have made it, uh, one of my favorite pieces, it's a video, uh, uh, Mark, uh, Sanswa, um, and you can find him on YouTube. We'll link down below. Uh, uh, he actually made it on and I don't know how he did it. I would really love to talk to him, made it on with his video camera and a friend and they did some taping, uh, and they actually taped the, their walkthrough. Uh, uh, obviously they didn't make it through any of the other. Do we know when that happened? I mean, this is more contemporary. This is a couple of years. From what I understand, this happened in like 2013. Yeah. I was just going to say, if I remember right, it was about 10 years ago or so, a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah. And recently has recent has April of 20. There's a guy that, uh, got on there. What's his name? Give me just a moment. I can find him. Yep. This uh, Richard McGuire, okay, who who's consequently also did a, a YouTube video while he was on there. He planned to just kind of, since the place was on lockdown, he went out there, thought he would, uh, and the police came and got him. <laughs> oh, so the the, he got a, he got a, he got arrested for yes. for the trespassing. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> at any rate, there's a big, like we were talking about earlier. There's big speculation this is not a typical Disney move to move to just abandon those things. Uh, uh, something that they put so much money into and has spent so many years trying to keep it afloat. And so. Uh, sorry. Island float. To, island float is. Yeah. It was a joke. Mm-hmm. So there, that, that brings us to the conspiracy theories, right? So in 80, 
in 80, there was a child that was on the island that ends up dying from uh, bacteria in the water. Oof. I think it's like the brain bacteria or something. Oh, like, like the brain eating amoeba thing? Yeah. yeah yikes. Like yikes. Okay. So one of, the, <clears throat> one of the, um, uh, the theories is uh, that the water surrounding the island is, is still, or the island is still... Uh, Still has the bacteria. Still harboring still nasty critters. Yeah. And still contaminated. And so they shut it down. Huh. Uh, the other, one of the other, other interesting theories is Disney just keeps it closed because they shoot fireworks over it every night. And so it continues to pollute. Uh, and it's just probably not a good thing to have. Or it's a liability to have. Uh, guests well robert i actually have to pat you on the back because you brought two conspiracies wow. that i actually will give some room for and then and then we have you know the outlandish that it's a jurassic park thing that there are things on that island uh and that are there are secret experiments still going on on that island and that are not meant to get off of that island right and they involve right. twinkies I, I, exactly. I, I'm, I'm kind of inclined to go to go the Occam's razor route here and say, yeah, Disney just doesn't like the optics of a decaying location in one of their properties. You know, everything is always clean and polished and, and perfect. Yeah. Beyond in, in perfect. Disney world. Yeah. Tim yeah. Burton, and, and I think Edward Scissorhands level this, right? perfect kind of thing. Yeah. Here we are. This is part of the allure is because everything is so neat and shiny. That seeing anything Disney from Disney, Disney being decrepit and 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 falling apart is is, is to, unless to, it's intentionally decaying and falling apart, and and even that is done perfectly and, let's, and, and pristine. Let's, you know, this is probably the most public of Disney's little dirty secrets and hidden places. Uh, um, you know, they have the, the 36 club. I think it's the 36 club. Yeah. And we'll, we'll definitely have to visit the 36 club at some point in time. Cause it yeah. is pretty damn crazy. And, th- and that's real. Yeah. No, that's that is real. full on real. There's no conspiracy involved. Yeah. 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 But I uh, think, uh, aliens created it, but no, they didn't, but <laughs> I guarantee you, you mark aliens. my other words. I imagine <laughs> that that Island has something to do I believe that's probably where they let Johnny Depp go get an all all new tattoo set. (laughs) Anyways, tell you what, we will revisit this when we have more information, but we will be right back on the Narrowband Broadcast Network. That's Rob. That's Dr. Mark. That's Chris. I'm Andy. We'll be right back. Hey everybody, Andrew Scott here from the Keep Your Hat On podcast. I just wanted to take a minute to say thanks for listening and to make sure that you know that there's a video version of our show over on YouTube. Not only do you get to see our lovely faces, and yeah, that's lovely in air quotes, but you also get a look at what we're talking about. And there's slightly different content over there. I mean, like whole different segments, bonus bits, and other stuff that, well, Let's just say that it's funnier in your eyes than it may be in your ears. So head on over to the YouTube channel at the link provided in your podcast listening app, click subscribe, and hit that little bell to be notified when new video content goes live. We'll see you there. Well, no, you'll see us there, but you get it. And remember, keep your hat on. We may end up miles from here. Thanks. 
Now let's get back to the show. And hey, welcome back. This is Keep Your Hat On, the show where even we don't know where we're going to go. I'm Andrew Scott, along with Dr. Mark C.E. Peterson, professor of philosophy in the University of Wisconsin system. Chris Vacano, my good friend down the street, and Robert Anthony, my good brother, a little bit uh, further down the street. Anyways, so we just finished up with what had um, uh, a little bit of a conspiracy flavor to it. and uh, Human chimeras, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Right? What would you think if I, of all people, brought a real conspiracy into the mix? So everybody knows what a light bulb is, right? And of course, okay. we're all we're all we're all moving away to you know my entire space here is lit up with LEDs, um, and uh, we're all of the generation where we translated from incandescent to fluorescent to you know a couple other different. Mm. But um, there's a particular light bulb, and it uh, is in Livermore, California, yeah. at the Livermore Fire Station, that has been burning mostly continuously since uh what is my records here uh since 1901 wow this bulb has been burning at a low at a, at a low uh capacity um but it is a handmade bulb that has been burning continuously there was a time where they had to take it down to move it it's been in a couple different locations but it's always been under the the care and feeding of uh the fire department they don't make them like that anymore. They don't. <laughs> Odd enough that you should say it that way. So we all live in this society, in this culture now, where you go out and you buy the thing you need and it works. And when it doesn't work, you generally replace it. Yes. Yeah, I'm, I'm working on it. <laughs> so He's formulating. So incandescent bulbs that we are all familiar with that are now really turning into a thing of the past for a number of different reasons. Back in the day, a light bulb was was quite an investment. You know, 1901, you're talking about the electrification of the country and the whole thing with Edison and Tesla and Westinghouse. And, 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 you know, that's a whole story unto itself. But buying a light bulb. When you first bought a light bulb in the first decade of the 20th century, you could expect that thing to operate anywhere from between 17 hours to a couple hundred hours. And of course, as time went on and technology progressed, the ability of a light bulb to remain functional increased. And uh, yeah, you know, at 1900, Bulbs lasted about 750 hours for your best bulb. By 1920, bulbs lasted well over 1,500, sometimes 2,000 hours. Mm. But what light bulb manufacturers started to appreciate is that that's a terrible model yeah. for a business. Let's yeah, make, a, let's make a product. Let's make a product yeah. that lasts forever. And you never have to talk to us again. So in 1924, there was a meeting, a clandestine meeting in Geneva, Switzerland, of course, because that's where you go to have a clandestine it's meeting. It's neutral. Right. Exactly. Um, and it was uh, Phillips 
GE International. Uh, let's see who else was involved. Um, Osram from Germany, the large German manufacturer of glass and electric <laughs> and Tokyo Electric all gathered uh, together. And they said, how's business? Yeah, yours is going down the tubes, too. All right. And they all agreed. And they formed a literal cartel. This cartel was bulb cartel. No, it was called the Phoebus cartel. Oh, Mark. Son. Greek again. Yeah. Yeah. Phoebus was Phoebus was the Greek god of sun and light. Oh, and clever buggers. They came up with a plan. They all agreed to keep their light bulbs to where they burnt out at about a thousand hours of use. And not only that, every member of the cartel had to agree to send in a random selection of bulbs from the manufacturing process to be tested. And Mm -hmm. if you if your bulbs were a little bit over a thousand hours, you were kind of okay within a margin of error. If it was beyond a thousand hours significantly, um, you were, you were fined. Uh, it wound up being that, uh, I believe it was for every, if you were over 3000 hours, you were fined 200 Swiss francs for every uh, every thousand bulbs you sold in that <clears throat> quarter, so it was it was a significant thing uh, that light. that they so, were. So to, so to borrow to borrow from the end of the Cold War, it was a it was a trust but verify kind of deal. It was very much a trust but verify thing. Now they they all agreed to keep their bulbs at a thousand hours, and uh, by 1935, the average light bulb light decreased to about 12,000 or 1200 operational hours in that time both costs of components and manufacturer went down yeah the cost of light bulbs went up and it was all due to the agreement of this cartel now this actually enters into a realm of what chris said earlier we have a term for this now and it's called uh manufactured obsolescence or or, or or planned obsolescence obsolescence. now you'd think that and and the the cartel the the cartel collapsed uh between 1935 and and the second world war mostly because osram and tokyo electric were on one side of the conflict and of course you know the uk and the us was on the other and so Mm -hmm. partnership kind of dissolved but You'd think that that would be the end of this conspiracy. What? It's, Wait, it's not right. Exactly. And part of oh, that wait, is because it, it's so effective as a business model that other wow. people started taking it up quietly in back rooms as well. And one of the great examples oh, yeah. of that is, of course, you know, there's a very famous um, quote by by henry ford you can have any color you want just so long as it's black um ford when when ford motor company really started up ford actually had it in his mind number one he aimed cars not as luxury items but he aimed them for the common man his goal was that you would have to buy one ford in your entire life 
and that the average working man could afford it and could afford to take care of it and could afford to repair it. Um, Ford was uh, was very progressive when it came to getting repair parts out to their customers to the point where you would have a Ford van drive up to your house and bring you the linkage that broke and you were allowed to fix it yourself. The idea of a, a garage full of professional mechanics to take care of your vehicle was was not in the cards yet. Oh, has times have changed. Oh, right. And that's really <laughs> where it brings us to today and something that I want to talk about and champion. You know, they're not even called mecha- mechanics anymore. No, they're called technicians. Yeah. Um, but there's it, a reason. It brings up something that I am really kind of passionate about. I'm a tinkerer and a fixer of things myself. And this brings us to this movement that's called right to repair. Yeah. Because if yeah. you think about the stuff that you have in your life, the things that we use on the day-to-day basis. How many of those do you think that you could actually repair yourself? And this goes directly to what Robert was saying in that we refer to mechanics now as technicians because there's very little mechanics going on. There's a lot of technology going on. And, you know, I mean, I drive an old 1994 Ford Ranger pickup. It's one of the last vehicles that I've ever owned where I can still get in under the hood and identify most of the things there. I can't do that anymore. Right. Well, and I mean, the other vehicle that I drive is a Prius fucking forget about it. I mean, yeah. um, But if you, I mean, if any of you guys grab your phone, Mm -hmm. can you take the battery out of that phone? Mm -hmm. Can you even get, can you even get into that phone? Yeah, not anymore. Can yeah, you I pop mean, the back I, of that I phone even off? Figure out how to open the case. No, yeah. exactly. Well, there's a, there's a right. bunch of YouTube videos that that. Yeah, and those uh, are the right and, and, and those are the and right to repair folks. That. But However, you immediately void the warranty. You exactly. void it, and you you give up and surrender any ability to make a claim of functionality to the manufacturer, and it's it's to the point where there's a whole different set of hardware now that us great unwashed don't have access to. And a great example, this, this whole thing really started off this, this understanding of how it impacts our regular life started off back in uh, about, I want to say 2003, there was a video by uh, a, a team of brothers Casey and Van Neistat. And this was a number of years before YouTube. Keep this in mind. So 2004, we were all running around with iPods. Remember those? (laughs) Yeah. And in 2003, Casey Neistat got himself a nice new iPod. And about 18 months into using it, the battery died. And he called up. He, he called up Apple and he said, I've got an iPod. It's only about it's under two years old. Uh, the batteries died. What do I do? And the Apple representative said, <laughs> go out and buy a new iPod. And he's like, wait a minute. There's there's no way you I can't send it to you guys and you can replace the battery. And he's like, oh, sure. It'll be two hundred and fifty dollars plus a mailing fee. Mm hmm. And the technician, the technician, the representative of Apple right then and there said, 
So for that price, you might as well just go out and buy uh, a, a new iPod because the price of a new iPod was like two hundred and seventy five dollars. Mm-hmm. So to just replace yeah, the no, battery, we're talking like a Gen two, Gen three iPod. Yeah, right? we're actually um, it was uh, let's see, my records say that, that it was the Gen brick. It was the it was the fourth Gen iPod is okay. what we're talking oh. about. It was re- it, it was so early commencer, yeah, commencer with the release of the iPod Nano. You know the the, mm-hmm. the little right. stick. Oh yeah. So yeah. um, he made a video and posted it online. And even back, this is like three or four years before YouTube, this thing got 6 million views and it really pulled the curtain uh, back on Apple. And Apple is really one of the most egregious examples of this. There's some question right now about whether or not you actually own your smartphone. Yeah. Yeah. Think about this. What other piece of electronic device or computing device do you buy and not have administrative privilege? Exactly. And that's where that goes is because, yes, you technically own the piece of hardware, but you do not own the software. You do not own the operating system. You You do not have right. When you use that phone, the first time you use that phone and you just blindly hit accept on all those things, Mm -hmm. you are saying you do not have right to affect the boot sector on it. You cannot modify the operating system in any way. So you you technically own it, but you effectively are leasing it up until such time as when you own it yourself. And of course, this whole thing with iPhones is one of the most egregious examples of this. In 2017, Apple pushed out an iOS upgrade Mm. that essentially bricked people's phones with an error code 35 i think it was (laughs) um and what what it was doing is um if you took your phone to be serviced by anybody other than an official apple uh, Mm -hmm. official apple property could tell it could tell. And this was uh, mostly due to replacement of batteries because back uh, in, in 15, 16, Apple's batteries were garbage. They would go down. Or even jailbreaking it. Yeah. Or even jailbreaking yeah, jail- it to, to uh, yeah. be multiple. And, and, but yeah, it could sense. It could sense that your phone was using a new component that wasn't factory installed and they bricked uh, your phone. Wow. Mm-hmm. Um, and they uh, there were there were other instances where Apple did this as well, where if they didn't brick your phone, what they did was they dramatically slowed down your processing speed when they found that you were using um, software or or other apps that were not officially released through the Apple store and paid for. Uh, so open source things uh, and, and it wouldn't just slow down those apps. It would slow down all your apps. And um, since so, then, uh, so it's punitive. companies like AT and T. What's that, Robert? I, I was going to say that uh, companies like AT and T. What they've done is, uh, and and most of the major carrier carriers do it now. What they do is they they lock up the bootloader. Yeah. So that you cannot uh-huh. get in and root your phone, uh, and and have those administrative privileges to change the operating system. Uh, uh, to to a more updated version, 
uh, even when it's it, there's a difference. There's a difference between uh, um, unlocked, meaning that you could take it to any carrier, and there's a difference between that and having the bootloader unlocked to where you can access it to root it. Yeah. Because so, they, they have a vested interest in keeping you from rooting your phone because you can, absolutely. you can, I mean, there are, there are a number of ways now uh, in, in backroom channels to get it to where your phone will work on any carrier all the time, irrespective oh. of what SIM card you have in it. Yeah. You know, this, or, uh, right, right, right. And, and Robert, this, this gets to something that surprised me a couple of years ago. I had a couple of iPhone eights that I wanted to sell and had to get them unlocked and it's a multi-step process i mean it is really cumbersome oh i had to do First, that i had to, to do that a year ago with carrier yeah i had to do that a year and ago and it was you have to get apple's blessing on the unlock yeah and mm -hmm. they're always keeping I mean, their insane. finger in the pie even after you've purchased the pie and taken it home um but to get well, to, right to get back. back to the to get back to the car thing um <laughs> up until up until about 1935 all cars were just black all all ford and most uh, american car manufacturers were all black it was only after world war ii where um general motors came along and started offering custom car colors or not even custom just different other than black and that also goes back to they understood and i believe there's a quote somewhere i'll try to find it and fly it in here uh of the the president or ceo of gm saying i want to get it to the point where the color of the you wanting the color of the car makes it so that um because the average uh lifespan ownership of a car at that point in time was about five years he wanted to get it to where you felt compelled to get a new car every year in order to sure. keep up with color trends and so it was a planned obsolescence based on style back then and honestly if you think about it that model is still at work today. Um, you know, my phone that I'm using now is a Samsung Galaxy 20S Ultra Super Duper thingy dealio that I still only understand about 10% of. I'm not one of these people who, who goes, I need the best, newest, brightest, shiniest thing. I just want my damn thing to work. But Apple is now redesigning um, iPad uh imax they're bringing back the color yeah. choices of imax like they did oh. when they first came out with the imac at the millennium <clears throat> um but they're also doing it with phones you're going to be able to get your the the, the back side of your phone be a particular color now and mm. they're oh, going to be rotating yeah, well, those I mean, color I mean, options so that you feel compelled to abandon a perfectly useful piece of technology simply for the sake of being up and on point with fashion yeah. but um you know the the right to repair movement goes all the way down to things like screws if you look sure. um, because again right now if you if you're uh if you own a, an apple like a macbook or a macbook pro and your battery starts to die there's no oh. way for you to get inside you you can physically get inside your laptop there's no way to remove the battery yourself because yeah. they use proprietary screws oh, yeah. and these these screws are are, are interesting the they're they're colloquially or in in industry um they're referred to let me see where's my thing here 
yeah, the days of Phillips screws are over. These are yeah. pentagonal screws. Yeah. And they're there. Uh, a lot of people, if you've done any kind of construction work, you know that, uh, you know, the bane of any builder's existence is the slot head screw. Um, there is more cursing that comes out of slot head screws sliding yeah. out. And in, you know, Phillips, yeah, changed the world, the Phillips head screw. Um, but most builders, if you're doing any kind of real construction, like deck or anything, you use something that's referred to as a Torx screw, which oh, yeah. is a right. six-sided star screw. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Torx has actually been, become very popular in, in tech building because there's just right. much better fitting and purchase on a Torx head screw. And, and but now, Apple but now, used to use Torx. Screws yeah, on Apple their, used on their to use Torx head screws until they realized that too many independent shops had Torx head screwdrivers, and yeah. so they went to what's referred to as a Torx security screw, where oh, the Torx oh, bit clever. is the same, but there's a little pin in the center, so you, <laughs> home consumer, cannot get your Torx head screwdriver in there. And you when, when Torx heads, when to- what? I think I have one of those. Yeah. But With the thing the is, you dimple in there in the middle. Yeah, exactly. And that's why now they won't work either because now <laughs> Apple is using these, these uh, pentagonal, they look like little daisies. They're little rounded out flowers. Mm. And mm. those are very hard to come by. Um, you literally you you need to order them from offshore and and get them. And again, if you do anything, you void your warranty. Now, those those same daisy shaped screws, they're not good enough either. There's now a new, new, new screw. And they're always and the other thing that they're doing with these screws is they're making them out of terrible metal on purpose to where if you're not using an actual uh, an actual torque sensitive screwdriver they will strip out you'll strip it and i'll actually put up a picture of somebody uh somebody's piece of equipment where they tried to get this out with a stand and they sheared it just it's gone and that thing is locked in there forever but the right to repair is something that's actually pretty important to me as a person who feels that the consumer generally speaking has been both programmed and coerced into giving up any sense of agency when it comes to the property they own. I was just going to say, this is, this is like, this is an aspect of dumbing down society. Well, it's not only dumbing down, it's a bait and switch, you know, what do you say on this even harder? Yeah. So, Frankfurt School. There's a bunch of guys in uh, Germany in the 30s at at the university there in Frankfurt, and it was the they ended up in the U.S. and stuff. Famous guys like Adorno and Horkheimer. Those are the names. Yeah. But they made this observation that one of the things that happens with capitalism in the 20th century is that capitalism used to like build stuff, make stuff, and then sell it to us. And that what's happened in the 20th century is that we have become the product. We're the end product. Yeah, I was just going to say what we wound up building mm -hmm. is a nation of consumers only. That's it. And so they Mm -hmm. build this stuff to make sure that that we they're building us as consumers. And so all these other little tricks sound like they're trying to find clever ways to sell us more computers. But that's not the reality. The reality is 
we're the we're the the resource they're mining yeah by mm-hmm. using these other things i just i was i'm just all over this andy because i um i have this little uh full names i have this little dell xps 13 which has been an awesome little box i'm i'm not i've never been an apple person because i, I haven't been able to figure out why i would pay a thousand dollars more for something that does the same thing just saying right? just saying we'll so, we'll, we'll, it, we'll fight that at another time we can we can wrestle arm wrestle about that later <laughs> yeah. but so you know um, the, the case started expanding and it's like so the battery's expanding right, right. You, you, and so i fortunately have lots of friends who are like computer guys and they set me on to and we can figure about this but if you've seen i put it up in the uh, in the chat window ifixit.com yep and uh, it's actually where i was going to go to that's how i'm going to close because okay well i'll just finish with yeah. this then i have another i have a question about apple though too in south park which came back to me um, <laughs> uh, um when i got the battery the battery from the battery for the the replacement battery because i've rewired my laptops before for the video camera and stuff so it's like i'm pretty comfy doing this stuff but i had to get the special screwdriver set that goes with this to do the battery replacement and you went to ifixit.com yeah there's there's ifixit has got everything they they are a fantastic group of people so should I mention should I mention the South Park question here? Oh, please. You guys were talking about okay, so you were talking about about because this is of course what happens with the iPods and everything in this is 2016, 17, right? Where the minute you click accept, right, you no longer own anything. And and did you see this? This triggered this. Did you see the South Park centipede? Uh, human centipede. Oh episode? yeah, 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 yeah. Where it's yeah, like yeah. you click on the Apple accept thing, and now suddenly Steve Jobs wires you into this human centipede experiment, and everybody they would show up at the house and they go, "What do you mean?" And it was like you clicked accept. Well, and it's it's a larger metaphor. It, it is, is a larger metaphor. Here's something that I think none of you guys actually appreciate or even know about, and this is something that. I only discovered about a month ago. If you live in Alaska, New Mexico, Arizona, Utah, Wisconsin, Michigan, Ohio, Louisiana, Alabama, you have no right to repair anything that you own that the manufacturer tells you that has no serviceable parts inside. Holy crap. Really? By state law, you have no remedy. And um, oh, shit. Uh, put the link up for that because I, I will do. Places. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the only places that you can really do it in this country, if I haven't mentioned your state out there, dear listener slash viewer, um, you're you're kind of out of luck right now. If you're not in Washington, Oregon, California, Nevada, Montana, Minnesota, Oklahoma, Kansas, Nebraska, Arkansas, Illinois, Missouri, Texas, Hawaii, Florida, South Carolina, Maryland. Uh, Delaware and all of New England, save Maine. Those states, I am impressed. Those states that you, you just did that like that. You have the right to repair something, but if you're not in one of those states, you either have no right to repair, or your state is currently or historically has been trying to introduce <laughs> bills that would give you right to repair privileges. And wow. again, that to me just sounds weird saying right to repair privileges. I don't have a right to repair my fucking toaster. Yeah, I can't put like my own tires on. Somebody came up with that phrase deliberately. Yeah, right? well, um, like mm-hmm. you know, it, and uh, we will be putting a link down again. I, along with Dr. Mark, highly recommend if you uh, have any inclination oh. to do your own work on your own you property, do you can go to ifixit.com. They actually sell full kits 
made for either general use to have uh, around to get through all these crazy ass different screws. Um, they will give you, um, if you're like me and you're an iMac user, um, you know, I, I'm staring down the barrel of having to replace my hard drive in my iMac. Uh, you, there's no little panel to do that. You have to take off the entire screen. They will sell you the tools, the professional tools that that Apple technicians use to get that screen off, including suction cups to lift the entire screen off like a car window. Um, suction cup. Yeah. And there, just, there's also um, uh, a great resource for understanding just how deep this insane evil rabbit hole goes mm-hmm. is uh, easy to remember repair.org and you will be able to school yourself on what your rights are. And more importantly, what your rights aren't when it comes to owning anything from a phone all the way up to uh, one of the things that really drives me mad. And this is uh, so rampant in this industry is um, agricultural equipment. If you buy a John Deere combine and you Mm -hmm. do so much as turn a nut on something, you're screwed. As yeah, and yeah, yeah, we're talking about we're talking about a piece of the piece of equipment that costs the better That's part true. of a half a million dollars, and yeah. your entire livelihood depends on it. Yeah. And if something yeah. falls off of there and you put it on yourself, you are out of luck. Um, yeah. I really encourage everybody to take a look into this and talk to your representatives when you have their ear, or send them an email because. This is one of the ways where society starts to grind to a halt. If you don't even have the ability to fix something yourself that's broken, well, there's something much bigger broken about life than just your toaster oven. Tell you what, everybody, we're going to be right back on the other side of this. This is the Narrowband Broadcast Network. We are the guys from Keep Your Hat On. Dr. Mark, Robert, Chris, I'm Andy. We'll be right back. Alexa, play the latest episode of Keep Your Hat On podcast on Amazon Music. Here's Keep Your Hat On from Amazon Music. So that's a thing you can do now. And welcome back. This is our last half of the first half of the second quarter of Keep Your Hat on the show where hell even we don't know where we're going to go. I'm Andrew Scott, along with my good friends, Chris Vacano and Robert Anthony. And we're kicking it over to Dr. Mark Peterson. What's up with you today, boss? We're going to the Suez Canal. Oh, let's please, we've because we've all sad. We've all had such a good experience. Uh, frequently. In fact, the ever given cargo ship, a quarter mile long. Filled with little boxes, little boxes on the hillside. I still don't believe that people. I still don't believe that people understand just how big that thing big, was. Yeah, big, big boxes and little with containing little boxes. Yeah. yeah. So um, now a couple of here's a couple of of seemingly unrelated uh, pieces. One, there's this giant cargo ship which clogged the the uh, Suez Canal for you know weeks. Right. This is about a month ago. Yeah. It was a good and, solid. Um, it was a good solid week. At least, and the hundreds of ships 
backed up to get around. And this caused shortages with oil and gas and all sorts of toilet paper um, all over Europe and uh, the rest of the world as well, but especially in Europe. So there's one detail. And of course, you know, we all know about um, uh, uh, all of the sort of um, uh, goodies which got stuck in the canal on their way here. But here's one of the things. I heard the canal was jammed full of dildos, frankly. (laughs) let me make this even more interesting uh lemme weeks um (laughs) that got stuck in a canal here's one you didn't see coming um uh this has caused a severe shortage in great britain that was also not expected now of course um, let me give you the other factor and see if you can guess what it was. What it was. Um, around the world, um, gardening stores have been keeping track of an increase over the last year during the pandemic in the amount of gardening that's gone on gardening supplies, sure. seeds, trowels, the whole nine yards, fertilizer, and a 97% increase in gardening worldwide as a result of the pandemic. Now, can you... Would you like to take a guess? At- I have to keep my mouth shut because I know. Do you know? I'm I'm going to take a stab in the dark and say garden gnomes. Oh, ding, ding, not ding, a stab ding, in the dark, ding, but ding, a good ding. one because that's exactly right. <laughs> Insert sound effect here. Good shooting, Chris. There has been a uh, there has been a worldwide shortage of garden gnomes as a result of the. I I didn't know that was the sort of thing about which there oh. could even be. Uh, a shortage. Shortage. <laughs> well, no, wait. Is it, they're garden right gnomes, so isn't shortage <laughs> built in? Yeah. Right into the concept. Right. So there's a shortage of shortage. I Baked guess in right saying. under the hat. And um, the maritime traffic uh, uh, jam caused shortage in toilet paper, oil, and gas. But it turns out it was garden gnomes. And in in parts of Great Britain, uh, the reports are that they have not seen new garden gnomes in over six months. Oh man, that's not okay. That's like running out of friggin' Marmite. Okay, how are they not rioting? Right? The gnome riots (laughs) of 2021. I guess I would say, you know, stiff upper lip. I'm afraid, Andy, that's all I've got, actually. Uh, No, I think that's that's an absolutely... Robert, um, I know you had to deal with the cat. Oh, gee, that's what you were doing. Here, yeah, I had yeah, to. I, I thought I had to fill you in on the breaking news. Oh my God! See, you do see, not. Robert's want that got a stuck black market garden gnome. <laughs> uh, I painted this. This is this is my glaze job. Wow. I I mean, yeah, all I I've got that. all I've got is a is you, a lame. You, you glazed your garden is a lame gnome. Buddha. I need to get myself a Buddha that <laughs> that's a garden gnome. I'm sure that's a thing. Everything's a thing this, now. Can I wind this back to a glazed job on a Zombies? garden gnome stuck right? in the Suez Canal? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> with with a pile of dildos behind it. <laughs> well, folks, you've you wasted another perfectly right. good hour hanging out folks. with us. Good night. And boy, this, that's that what I do. So two shows. Fast. 7 and 9.30, try the veal. Thanks again for hanging out with us, everybody. This has been Keep Your Hat On, the show where we don't even know where we're going to go. I'm Andrew Scott. That's Dr. Mark C.E. Peter Nome. That's Chris Vacano. And that is Robert Anthony. We will talk to you again real soon. Meanwhile, keep your hat on. We might wind up miles from here. Get your shot. Take care of your fellow man. Keep washing your hands. And again, thanks a lot for being here. Bye-bye, everybody. Well, there's a chunk of time you can't get back. 
From Portland, Oregon, this has been Keep Your Hat On, a big little show about a whole lot of nothing in particular. Keep Your Hat On is a narrowband broadcast network production in association with PodSquadPDX.com. Andrew Scott, executive producer. Robert Anthony and Chris Vacano, associate producers. Our theme music was written and produced by Andrew Scott, along with help from Ron Kajawa. Website design and maintenance by Vacano Creative, Chris Vacano Webmaster, available at VacanoCreative.com. Audio and video production by Andrew Scott, available at andrewscottmedia.com. Got ideas or comments for the show? Email us at talkback at kyhopodcast.com. And don't forget to like, click, and subscribe. On behalf of the boys, I'm your announcer, Michael Brumage. Thanks for listening. Uh, I guess. <laughs>